Whoa, this is a big class. I'm glad you guys are here. Come on in, come on in. There you go. Are you guys in the right class? Okay. Uh, I'm going to push my stopwatch so I stay on time. So my name is Steve Brand, and I've uh, got a little bio here for you. Baptized before you were born, December 4th, 1977. Uh, eight years in the full-time ministry, teens, campus, adults. I used to lead the teens in Columbia, South Carolina. How about that? Anybody here from Columbia? Okay. Anybody know Perry Keeve? Anybody know Perry Keeve? My wife and I studied the Bible with Perry's mom and dad 35 years ago. My wife and I just had our 35th anniversary. So that's on the, the bottom. Been married to my wife, Terrell, for 35 years. I've got a dual master's. I was a campus minister at the University of South Carolina and Boston University. And I've got a dual master's from BU. I used to lead the BU ministry when I was in the ministry. And I've done about 27,000 hours of individual therapy. And most of that's with disciples. So it's 27,000 hours. That's a lot of time. That's 25 years that I've been a biblical counselor. And uh, I do the Restoration of the Heart. That's a workshop that I would love to do in your church, wherever you're from. We do that workshop here about once a year. Actually, we did it in Kyle's dad's church a few years ago with the men. But um, my wife and I also go to Africa twice a year. We go in November and March. Anybody want to guess why we go in November and March? It's the dry season. We're trying to avoid malaria, trying to avoid the mosquitoes, trying to avoid all the rain. But this class is called basically psychological development for teenagers. Because there's a lot when I was a teenager that I didn't know. My parents should have probably sent me to rehab. The guy that was up there today talking about taking drugs, pres prescription drugs, is he here? Or is he in a different class? Well, that was, I was doing that and a lot worse when I was a teenager. But this is my life. Um, I'm an adventure guy, so up in the, the left-hand corner, that's a picture of me after I just climbed the mountain. Then uh, right there, oops, got to go slower. That's a picture of me and my family in Kasami, in uh, Kumasi, uh, Ghana, on a mission trip. Um, and that's a picture of my family and myself at a wedding all dressed up. <coughs> that picture down on the bottom right is me in a glacier. So I'm kind of an adventure junkie. I'm like a 62-year-old adrenaline junkie. And uh, that picture on the top is my favorite. It's uh, My wife's a big joker so she likes to tell jokes and that's my wife cracking a joke and we're all laughing in Africa in Ghana on one of our mission trips so that's just a little bit about me um, I'm just a disciple putting one foot in front of the other every day I try to stay close to God I try to have my quiet times I share my faith I'm in the same battle that you're in if you're not a disciple, it doesn't matter. If you're not a disciple, if you're a disciple, this class, you're going to learn a lot. So let me jump right in. There's your brain. Did you know your brain looked like that? Yeah. That's your brain. That's what it looks like. Okay. 
The psychological development of a team. Jesus, you know this scripture, you've heard it a million times, grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and with men. Now break that down. You guys are growing. The reason we're having this class is your bodies and your minds and your hormones are all growing at the same time and you don't understand everything that's happening in your mind and your body. And so this is a very confusing time for most people. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was like off the chain. I was in the ditch. I was an absolute train wreck. And I'd like to help you understand yourselves better so that you don't go off the chain in the ditch and become a train wreck. But Jesus grew in wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not just knowledge. It's applied knowledge. He grew in stature. You guys are growing. Do you know a teenager can grow multiple inches in one night? Like when your mom or dad looks at that's why you need so much sleep. And you need to leave your phone in the kitchen so you're not answering texts and you're looking at white LED light on your phone. You guys need a lot of sleep. You guys are going to be crashing after this thing is over on Sunday. You know how tired you're going to be. But you grow in stature, and Jesus grew in favor with God. Now, I don't get that because he was God. But he had a relationship with God, too. He went to the wilderness, and he <coughs> prayed. He got away to solitary places, and he grew in favor with men. He grew socially. Some of you guys are trying to figure out how to be social. Some people are more social, extroverts. Some people are not as social, introverts. Extroverts get energy from people, from being around people. Introverts, being around people drains you. You need time by yourself. But Jesus grew socially, spiritually, physically, and in applied knowledge and wisdom. And you guys are growing, and I want to help you understand it. Jesus set the example. You're growing and developing. You see that acorn? Someday it'll be an oak tree, you know? And there's a lot of scriptures, especially in Isaiah, about being an oak of righteousness. So there's a mountain right over here, Kennesaw Mountain. I don't know, anybody know where Kennesaw Mountain is? So I hike that like two or three times a week, and there's one oak tree that I see there, and that's my goal, is to be an oak of righteousness. So as a 42-year-old disciple, I'm still trying to walk that walk. I don't want to be an acorn. It would be weird to be an acorn and stay an acorn, wouldn't it? It would be weird to be a baby Christian and just stay a baby Christian. So it's just a natural thing to grow. Jesus grew and you guys are growing. I just want to help you understand it. The first question in your growth is to figure out who is God. Your mom is not God. She may be tough as nails, but she's not God. Your dad, he may be tough. He may be hard-lined, but he's not God. The teen ministry is not God. Teen ministry culture is not God. The ICOC is not God. God is God. And only in the Bible, studying the Bible, learning about the Bible... Will you touch? Because this is all about connecting. Touching, connecting with God. This morning, I was on Kennesaw Mountain with a friend. We hiked about three and a half miles. And at the end, we always pray. 
So today I've spent my time in the wilderness and I am spent my time connecting with God. But what about the psychological journey of a team? Did you know that if answering the question, who is God, is job one, question one. Question two is, who am I? Did you know that a teenager from puberty to 25 is trying to answer that question? And whether you're a disciple or not, you're still trying to figure out, how do I answer, who am I? You know, when somebody's having a hard time, you know what we say in our culture in America? We say she's trying to find herself. Or he, he, he's having a hard time finding himself. You ever heard about kids, like college kids, that are having like failure to launch? Like they're having a hard time maybe getting through classes or getting a degree or getting a job? Well, it's because they're trying to find themselves. And so your job psychologically is just to figure out from puberty to 25, who am I? Now, what is it about 25? Does anybody know about this part of your brain? Your frontal lobe isn't fully developed till 25. The frontal lobe performs all the... You, you want to come up here? That's good. You, you, you know a lot. So the frontal lobe is what you use to make good decisions. Now, how can you make good decisions... <laughs> if your frontal lobe isn't developed till 25. That's why God gives you one or two of these things called parents, okay? Because even though, like when I was your age, I thought my parents were idiots. Has anybody got their parents in the idiot phase? You know? You, you won't come right out and say it. You, you, you'll never say it, okay? But when I was your age, I thought I, thought I knew everything. But guess what? My frontal lobe wasn't developed till 25. So I did stupid stuff. The stuff those two people shared about and much worse. Because I wouldn't listen to my parents. And that's why God gives you parents. I'll cover that in another minute. But question number three, where are you at on your journey? In answering, okay, who is God? Who am I? And where are you? Like, there's a road, okay? Where are you on the road of life? Now, the road of life does not look like that, okay? My road was like, woo, like that, okay? Lots of curves, okay? But where are you on your journey? Here's one of my favorite metaphors, being a teenager. You are a rocket. You ever see these um, little... Meta, these little movies where they bring the rocket out of the hangar in Cape Canaveral on this long road, and then they put it upright on the launching pad. And you know the, the countdown, 10, 9, 8. Well, some of you guys are doing that with how long you're going to be at home. How many years or how many months? Like 24, 23, 22, 21 months, and I'm out of here, you know? But look, look, at, look at what this says. The biggest opponent of a rocket is gravity. And we see our parents as gravity. They feel like, they feel, it feels like we want freedom. We want to launch off into the world with this partially developed brain. 
uh-oh, that's what I did. It didn't work very well for me. But your parents feel like gravity. They're holding you down. They're holding you back. Now, did you guys wake up this morning and complain about gravity? Like, I wish, I wish gravity didn't exist. I didn't wake up thinking about gravity. My buddy that I was hiking with this morning, he came up with this example. He said, you know, we don't go around complaining about gravity. We accept it. We accept gravity. But we complain about our parents because it feels like they're holding us back. They're taking away our freedom. They're disciplining us. They're taking away our gadgetry. They're, 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 put, they're putting us in, in, a, in a place where we can't use our cell phone or they take away our iPad or they pull away our computer or they ground us and we can't go out. But what about this right here? Your frontal lobe, the part of your brain for executive function, good decision making, sound judgment is not fully developed till 25. That's why God gave you parents. I would not listen to my parents. I did my own thing and I paid a heavy price. I'm just saying God gave you parents to help you make good decisions. And you know, my, my mom used to say, I hated this. She said, tell me who your friends are and I tell you who you are. And every time she said it, I hated it. But I was hanging out with some scary people. I was up for National Honor Society. My grades were good, I was smart. But I was hanging out with the stoners in front of school every day because I was a stoner. And my aunt, who was a teacher at that school, had inside information that I was up for National Honor Society. I didn't get it. You know why? Because I wasn't very honorable. Because I was high all the time. I got drunk and got high every day, you know? So I needed my parents, but I thought they were idiots and I wouldn't listen to them, so don't make that mistake. That's your lecture for today. Self-esteem. This is a big problem for teenagers, but why? Because from puberty to 25, you don't know who you are yet. You're trying to find out who am I. And so we can have naturally low self-esteem or we can have high self-esteem or some way in the middle or you can have bad things happen to you that hurt and damage your self-esteem. Like bullies, like prejudice, racial prejudice can hurt your self-esteem. Getting chosen and not getting chosen for a team, for sports, for some club, just those kind of things, making it in the school play, not getting the lead, getting the lead, you know, in a musical, not being able to sing, just having a, a background kind of thing. All those kind of things can hurt your self-esteem. But I want to say, whether you're a disciple or not, God loves you. And he created you in his image. Genesis 1, 27, 31, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw what he had made. And he said, it was very good. You are very good. Now, you may feel bad. You may have moods that make you feel bad. Or people that make you feel bad at school. People that say things or do things to you or talk about you. But God says you are good. How about this? 
You are unique. You are one in seven billion. Roughly one in seven billion. Your DNA, like do you hear my voice? If, if Kyle called me on the phone and I didn't look at caller ID, I, I would hear his voice and I'd be able to recognize it was Kyle. If I called him and I didn't identify myself and there was no caller ID, he could hear my voice and recognize it's me. Your voice, the iris of your eye, you know, the colored part of your eye, your voice print, your fingerprint, your DNA, you are the only one of you in the world. And how does God feel about you? There's a scripture that says God delights in you. And the Hebrew word for delights, tell me your name right there. <laughs> Just your first name. Lydia. Lydia? Okay. When, when you walk in the room, the word delights in the Hebrew means that when you walk in the room, he says, there's Lydia. She's my girl. I love her. She's my beloved. Did I get your name right? Lydia? Lydia. 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 Okay, I got it right. So Lydia, when you walk in the room, God says, there's my girl. There she is. I love her. That's how he feels about every one of you guys. Okay? That you are his beloved. You are his chosen. And that means if you're a disciple or not. That if your teen ministry treats you different, or if the disciple teens treat you different because you're a disciple or not a disciple... That's just them. That's not God. God loves you. And you are unique. You are one in seven billion. You're the only one with your voice print, with your iris, with your DNA, with your fingerprint. You're the only one in the world. And He loves you. He delights in you. Here's what you're worth. You wonder, how can I get a positive self-esteem? How can I feel a positive self-worth? Well, this is what you're worth. Jesus stretched out his arms and he died for you. The cross of Christ identifies your value. You are worth so much that God sent his one and only son to die for you. And if you don't get self-worth or self-esteem anywhere else, you can get it there. And that's no joke. I want to talk about sexuality. Now, by the way, I'm about halfway through and we've got a lot of time on purpose. Because I want to have questions and answers. But I know that people can be embarrassed mm -hmm. to answer and ask questions in a group like this. So I would like you all to take out a, a piece of paper and write a question, a mental health question. Okay? Anything. I'm talking about self-esteem. I'm talking about mental health. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about suicidality. And I'm talking about sexuality. So... When I'm done talking, I would like you guys to pass those questions to me, and we're going to have Q&A until we run out of time. Because I know that, again, Q&A can be embarrassing if you're asking questions in front of everybody. But I'm just going to read your questions and answer as many of them as I can. So think of a question about your, your journey, your mental health. Some place where you're stuck. Some place where you need some help. And you can do that while I'm talking, but please stop talking to each other, okay? And let's move on with, with sexuality. In the kingdom, 
the enemy. Who's the enemy? Satan. Satan. Can use even your parents and the church. Okay, the teen ministry. To make you feel like sex is dirty and forbidden. Now, it is saved. Sexuality is saved for marriage. That's God's plan. God's plan is for you to have fun with your sexuality in your marriage and to save yourself for that day, okay? But the enemy, Satan, can make sex a dirty thing to you. Pornography can make sex a dirty thing to you. The guilt and shame of pornography and masturbation can make sex a dirty thing for you. But I'm here to tell you that there are disciples who grew up in the teen ministry who've gone on their honeymoon and found out what a beautiful thing the sexual relationship can be in the bonds of marriage. And that's God's plan. That's God's plan. So, I just want you to realize that it's not, sex isn't bad or dirty. It's just when we act out sexually outside of marriage, that's when things get weird. And we, we deal with guilt and we deal with shame. Now, anybody know the difference between guilt and shame? The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. So guilt is, I did something bad. My conscience is bothering me. I'm sorry, I repent, I'm not going to do it again. Okay? So your conscience tweaks when you've done something wrong and you feel guilty. Alright? Shame is, I'm bad. Now, we just read a scripture that says you're good, that you're created in God's image, and so you're good. You've got to know the difference between the fact that you're good, that God created you in His image, and God is good, right? Isn't that what we say about God? And so you guys have good hearts. You're here learning this weekend because you're good, and you want to be better, all right? Realize the difference between guilt and shame because the enemy's goal is to get you to live in guilt and shame most of the time. And sexuality is one place where he gets us. Because sexuality makes us feel dirty. Because some of us have this idea that it's all dirty, it's all bad, it's all forgiven. But you guys, at this age, you're getting hormones. Some of you have had hormones for years. And you've got to figure all that out. The mental health, along with hormonal, your bodies are full of raging hormones. And you've got to figure out how to handle your sexuality biblically. And let's look at that. So we we can either have sexuality defined by the world or sexuality defined by God. If you're in school, anybody here go to school? Okay, the world has a lot to teach us, most of it wrong, about sexuality. Like if you don't have sex, you're weird. If you try to be a virgin and go into your marriage as a virgin, that's bizarre, that's weird, what's your problem? That's what the world tries to teach us. So we, we have to decide, are we going to let God teach us about sexuality, or are we going to let the world teach us about sexuality? Look at this scripture. God's standard of sexual integrity. Finally then, brothers, we urge 
we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God's will is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And look at this phrase that's highlighted, that each one of you, like whether you're a teen disciple yet or not, that each one of you know how to control his own body, how? In holiness and honor. Now, I didn't do this when I was a teenager, and I paid a heavy price. I don't want you to pay that price. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You remember how in the beginning I said the first question you've got to answer is, who is God? And the second question, who am I? And the third question, where am I on the journey? Okay? Because the Gentiles who do not know God can be similar to somebody in the teen ministry who doesn't know God. Okay? You, you can act in passion and lust like the Gentiles. So there's a lot to learn about sexuality. Next slide. Here's one. This, is what, this one is, is pretty heavy. Pay attention. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. So you can see the ocean. You can see a waterfall. You can see the mountains. You can walk out of your house in the morning and hear the birds singing. And God's creation speaks to us. Having been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when I was in the world, when I was in high school, when I was doing sex, drugs, and rock and roll back in the 70s, um, my foolish heart was darkened. I was living a life of futility. And you know what happened to wake me up? My best friend died. I used to water ski a lot. My dad had a boat. I would take my friends out. We, we would get like a case of beer and a bag of weed. And back in the day, eight track tapes. You don't even know what that is. That's before CDs, before cassettes, eight track tapes. So we would be blasting the rock and roll, water skiing. We'd spend all day on, on the water. And one day, there were a bunch of us partying. And we saw my buddy on another boat. And he was on the front of the boat, and he was like, Hey! And we all went, Hey! <laughs> it was just the old drunken yell, the old partying, debaucherous, drunken yell, you know? That was the last time I saw him. Wow. That day he fell off the front of the boat. The boat chopped him. Oh, the propeller wow. chopped him. He sank to the bottom, and then after about three days, there's a chemical process in the human body that brings the body up. So they found him. Wow. I went to his funeral. And the priest, because he was Catholic, the priest said, Jerry, and he knew he had a lot of teenagers in the audience, he said, Jerry lived a very fast life, like many of you young people here today. Now that statement, 
that Jerry lived a very fast life like many of you, it went <coughs> right here in my heart. And I thought, ooh, I need to slow down mm -hmm. because tomorrow is not guaranteed to me. So we were living a foolish life. Jerry and I got high together every day. He was one of my party buddies. And when he died, I started, I started about a year and a half process of coming back to God. Started reading my Bible, started going to Bible studies, and then one weekend I would just get wasted. And then I, I'd start over, and I could go for a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe five weeks, and then I'd have a binge. And I did this through high school into college, and then when I was in college, um, there was a girl in my dorm, and we had a platonic relationship. We used to go on these long talks and long walks and just talk about life. And there was nothing sexual about our relationship. And she told me she was going on a retreat, like you guys are here this weekend at the teen rally. And she went on this retreat, and she came back, and I said, what would you guys do down in Kentucky on this retreat? And she said, well, we, we sat around on the grass because it was the fall. It was like October. And uh, the weather was beautiful, and we sat around the grass, and we read the Bible, and we prayed, and we sang songs. And next thing I know, she told me she got baptized. And I was like, what? What are you thinking? You know, you got baptized last summer in this church, and then you got baptized as a baby in this other church, and now you're getting baptized again? And I was arguing with her about baptism, and she invited me to church. And her inviting me to church, us having a friendship, she invited me to church in that year and a half when I was trying to break free from drugs and alcohol. She invited me to church and I became a Christian December 4th of 77. But back to this scripture. My foolish heart was darkened. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And here's the scary part right here that God will not make you become a Christian. He will not make you become a disciple. God's not going to make you study the Bible and get baptized. And if you want to go into the darkness, you can take a deep dive into the darkness, and you might not make it back. Some people do, some people don't. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. And what does sexual impurity do? It says, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So I just want you to know that you have choices and you have options. But if you choose the darkness, it can mess you up. Now, it's not just going to mess your body up. It's not just the fear of pregnancy or getting a girl pregnant or having an abortion or STDs or even worse, AIDS, those kind of things. It's what it does to you, to your soul. Because I work every day with people who've been sexually abused, people who have been physically abused, people who have been verbally, emotionally, psychologically abused. One of my specialties is trauma. When I go to Africa, I speak about trauma. So I just want you to know that if you choose the path where God will give you over, He's not going to make you do anything. You realize that. Like, you guys all have choices. He's not going to make you become a Christian. He's not going to make you study the Bible. God's not going to make you get baptized. So if you choose that path, it's going to do something to your heart. It's going to do something to your mind. It's going to do something to your soul. 
And yeah, it can do some things to your body too. But when I work in my office, those 27,000 hours that I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to help people heal at the soul level. I'm trying to help them heal at the level of their hearts. Because for a while, somebody took advantage of them verbally, emotionally, psychologically, physically, or sexually. So I want you to know that sexual integrity is a choice that you can make. Here's a big thing I want to talk about. What does the government, the U.S. government, what does European culture, what does American culture, what is pop culture, what do the schools teach us? Do you know that there's been language in the school system for about 20 years about inclusion, tolerance, choice? And basically, this is a plot from the enemy to create sexual confusion, that anything goes, that everything is okay. That, and I'm not talking about using these words in terms of anything else except sexuality. But if you use these words with sexuality, what we're going to have is a breakdown in the family system, a breakdown in the nuclear family, a breakdown in um, just having parents and having people who are committed to doing things God's way. And so, you guys, I, I can't even explain to you how much you've already been influenced by this in our culture today. And imagine you guys getting married and having children and your children not even knowing who they are or what they are sexually. And some of you are still in that struggle, trying to figure out who I am and also trying to figure out what you are. Are you male? Are you female? Are you gay? Are you bi? But I want you to know that there's, there's an agenda. There's an agenda, and it's, we can blame the government or the school system or the culture, but the agenda is from the devil himself. Because he wants to destroy just the simplicity and the beauty of sex in the bonds of marriage. That's what Satan is out to destroy. He's out to destroy marriage. If you look at a lot of, a lot of the movies today, they make the husband look like a buffoon. They make the husband look like a weakling. There, there's a plot that the enemy has through popular culture, through music and movies and through people that we look to in popular culture as icons that anything goes, inclusion, everything's okay, tolerance and choice, and then what do we stand for? Do we stand for the Bible or do we stand with the world? And my Bible tells me to look for the ancient paths, to look for God's way. And when my friend died, that's what I decided to do. I decided to do things God's way. So watch out for sexual confusion. It's a tool of the enemy. And he's got plenty of it going on. This is the most extreme example. I want you to know that the sexual culture in America is aggressive. That what the enemy is doing right now in America and around the world is aggressive. And this passage is from Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels came to visit Lot. Because remember when Abram was trying to get Lot, you know, trying to get God, making a, a deal with God to say, can we just save Lot and his family if they're just ten righteous people in Sodom? So let's read this together. The two angels arrived at Sodom. Now these are angels, guys. Two angels arrived in a city in the evening. 
and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. People in the Middle East are known for their hospitality. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You, you can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. Now Lot knew what kind of a city Sodom was. And Lot's thinking, no, okay? But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men, listen to this, all the men from every part of Sodom, young and old, surrounded the house. What did they want to do? Did they want to welcome the two angels to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. This is, this is torqued. This is weird. This is how aggressive a sexual culture can be to destroy people. Okay? The people of Sodom banged on Lot's door trying to ask him to let the angels come out so they could have sex with him. The sexual culture in America, the sexual culture in your school is aggressive. I want you to know that it's aggressive. And this is an example in the Bible of how aggressive it can be. You can make decisions right now in your life that can mess you up. Be careful. Protect your sexuality. Learn how to control your own body like we looked at a few a scripture ago with honor and with integrity. This leads us to the final section, and then we're going to do the Q&A. So if you guys have questions, write them down while we're talking here. Because this is a big topic. Teen depression and suicidality. When I was a teenager, I was depressed. And my medication was alcohol and marijuana and LSD and cocaine and opium and speed and phenobarbitals. It doesn't sound good, does it? Okay, but I, there was no such thing as Prozac when I was a kid, okay? But I was self-medicating. Some of you right now are self-medicating, like the guy that shared earlier before uh, Chase spoke a few minutes ago, okay? Um, some of you are self-medicating, but it might be with food. It might be with sex, with pornography and masturbation, okay? It might be with drugs and alcohol. But this is a really important topic, so let's talk about it. The symptoms of depression. There are emotional symptoms, thought symptoms, behavior symptoms, and physical symptoms. Let's go one at a time. Emotional symptoms, sadness, anxiety, guilt, anger, mood swings, feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, irritability. Now let me say, when you're feeling all that stuff, Sometimes you don't know what's going on with you. You don't know that this is depression, all right? Behavior symptoms, crying, withdrawal from others. So when you isolate, that's a symptom of depression. Neglecting responsibilities, tanking in school, okay? Changes in personal appearance, when you don't even want to bathe, when you don't want to brush your teeth, 
when you don't want to, I'm not talking about that one week at the swamp, by the way. That's a badge of honor, you know, to not brush your teeth for a week or whatever you guys do at the swamp, you know. But I'm just talking about when you're depressed, you, you don't care about your hygiene. You quit taking care of your hair. You quit putting on deodorant. You quit brushing your teeth. You just, you just don't care. Some people move more slowly. They get into like slow motion. Some people get agitated and they get really hyper and they start talking really fast, okay? Uh, physical, chronic fatigue, lack of energy. You see the slow motion there? Sleeping too much or too little, so either insomnia or hyposomnia. Weight gain or loss, so you can lose your appetite and quit eating. And then there are eating disorders along with that. Or you can have rapid weight gain because you're using food to medicate. Uh, loss of motivation, substance abuse, unexplained aches and pains. Like your body can even hurt. And, and being depressed is miserable. And when, when we're depressed, we think it's us. It's actually your brain chemistry. It's like your brain chemistry, instead of a compass pointing north, your brain chemistry points west-northwest or east-northeast or south. And so you can start to feel self-hatred. You can start to feel contempt. You can start to hate yourself. Now this sounds like a plot of the enemy, okay? Because the enemy wants to take you out. But when you're depressed, you can make bad decisions. You can make bad decisions with drugs and alcohol, bad decisions with your body sexually. You can make bad decisions with your own personal safety in regard to suicidality. So in the thought category, thoughts of death and suicide, confusion, indecisiveness. You know, there's actually a symptom called do-nothingism. When you're depressed, you just kind of sit and do nothing because you're indecisive. Your brain lacks focus. You're having a hard time making decisions. What about your schoolwork? Depression affects memory and concentration. How can you focus to study when you're depressed? And when you study, you read the same thing over and over again, and you're not remembering it because you're struggling with depression. And then you're really hard on yourself, frequent self-criticism. We call this your internal dialogue the way you talk to yourself. Some of you, if you have a healthy self-esteem, you tell yourself how beautiful you are, how handsome you are, how great you are. You look in the mirror and smile at yourself and talk to you. But some of you are grinding yourself into powder in your self-talk, the way you talk to yourself in your mind. And so these are just some of the symptoms of depression in those four categories. What about suicide? I'm going to talk about that for a minute. This is a permanent decision based on temporary emotions. Don't do it. I want to talk about spectrum theory about suicide. So there's a suicidal thought. Almost everybody has had a thought, what if I died? What if I wasn't here? Okay? Well, a thought is one thing. Having a plan is another thing. Having a means to carry it out. Like you can say, okay, I'm going to run my car into a concrete bridge. Well, do you have a car? Is there gas in the car? Do you have a driver's license? Do you drive? You know? So you have to have the thought and the plan and the means to carry it out. And then most of us 
we lack intent. Now, you, don't, you know how to get at suicidality among church people, Christians, disciples? Have you ever thought, Lord, take me home? If things are that bad, it's not like you would really do it, but you wish, you're so miserable that you just wish you weren't here. Okay? That's called a passive death wish. So people who are Christians, people who are disciples, people who are religious, people who are in the church, people who believe about eternity, often have a passive death wish that they're so miserable. Now, let me say this. Even those thoughts are unnatural. Your dog, my dog, your cat, doesn't sit around thinking about death. Your dog doesn't sit around... Your dog, you know how dogs will they'll go around in a circle about seven times and then lay down? My, we used to joke about my dog that he was getting his 18 hours in. Because pretty much all they do is sleep, you know? But your dog doesn't sit around wishing it was dead. And it's not normal. It's your brain chemistry on tilt. If you're wishing that you weren't here, there are solutions for this. And, and let me explain the science on suicidality. It's like the left wing and the right wing of the airplane. You know in the word study when we talk about life and light and darkness? Yeah. I talk about a, a doctrine and a life and lifestyle. Doctrine and lifestyle. When we say which wing of the airplane is most important, left wing or the right wing? And the answer is both. You need both wings to fly. Well, they did a study with people who were depressed at the University of Pittsburgh. And they had hundreds of people in three groups. One group just got medication. One group got therapy to deal with the root problems associated with depression, and the other group got both. So the group that got medication got better but slipped back into depression. The group that got therapy got better, slipped back into depression. The group that got both medication and therapy got better and stayed better. So if any of this talk about suicidality applies to you, you need to get some professional help. Talk to your pediatrician, talk to your doctor, talk to your parents, and get help. When you scroll through the inter internet, there are jokes about anxiety, depression, alcoholism. Uh, to talk about suicide is awkward. It's stigmatized. We, we can feel weird talking about it. Uh, there can be a social cost if you bring it up. Some people joke about suicide. It's funny. It's relatable. It's free. No weird stares. Are you joking? Are you serious? Nobody knows but you. I want to destigmatize depression and suicidality. If you had a broken arm, you wouldn't feel guilty or ashamed to go to the ER or go to the ortho and get a cast on your broken arm. If you're depressed, guys, it's a medical thing. Depression is a medical, even though it's in your head, is your head part of your body? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a medical problem. So with medication and therapy, you can be undepressed, okay? If you see the girl, the lady in the middle blowing her nose, if you had bronchitis, and you know you're getting up these green and brown and all these different colors in your phlegm, and it's just nasty, and it's not just a cold, and it's not going away, and you've got 103 fever, and you know you gotta go to the doctor and get what? Antibiotic, medication. 
So where's the shame in going and getting antibiotics, getting medication for, for bronchitis, or getting your arm in a cast? So take the shame away. Destigmatize mental illness and suicidality. Talk about it and get help. In summary, and then we'll do Q&A. So, Kaya, can you pick up all the questions, please? Yeah, if you guys can just pass them to the end of your rows. So, three questions. Who is God? Who am I? And where am I? Do you know that the question, where am I, is the first question in history? What did God ask Adam in Genesis? After Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. He said, Adam, where where are you? So I want you to figure out today, the purpose of this class is figure out where am I on this journey? I would like you to have a solid self-esteem. There are things you can watch, YouTube videos. There's a lot of resources on the internet to work on your self-esteem. I would like you to have a godly sexuality. And I would like to destigmatize depression and suicidal thoughts. And help you realize it's not you, it's your brain. You're on tilt. Just correct it. And the final thing is I want you to know that you are of great value in the eyes of God. When you walk in the room, God says, there's my man. There he is. I love him. He's my beloved. There's my girl. I love her. She's my beloved. Okay, Kyle, give me a handful of those. I'm going to start answering right. some of those questions. So this one, bookmarked on the page, if you want to go with that one. Okay, now you know I'm not going to get through all these, but we're going to go, okay? Thank you. I go to college next year. How do I get used to not being at home anymore? How do I not feel depressed about it? I think that's a great question, and I, I think um, you start spending more time away from home, like going to Hope Youth Corps, go to camp, maybe uh, volunteer at camp. You start um, asking your mom and dad what you can do to be confident about your independence, because you know you need to be somewhat independent to function outside. Thank you. Outside of school. How do you protect yourself from enjoying pain? This is a great question, especially among girls. A lot of girls, uh, they get in these little groups where there's cutting, and they find enjoyment there. And, and that's, that's a real problem. And, and some people use physical pain so they don't feel the emotional pain. Their intrapsychic pain is so strong that they use physical pain to take their mind away from the emotional intrapsychic pain. So my advice to you, if you do that, if you do cut or you know somebody that does cut, is for them to get help on what's going on on the inside. So cutting on the outside, and these aren't people actually trying to commit suicide, these are people trying to inflict pain, physical pain on their body to take their mind off the emotional pain they feel on the inside. And part of that emotional pain is, who am I? Where am I at on this journey? And it might be about your sexuality, and it might be about getting picked on at school, or bullied, or experiencing prejudice, and things like that. So get help on the inside to deal with the enjoyment of pain on the outside. 
How can you cope with dating someone struggling with suicide, depression, and homicidal thoughts? Okay, well, that person you're dating needs professional help. So it's really not your job. If you feel it's your job to keep somebody alive, you're also struggling with something called codependency. It's not your job to keep somebody alive, although you can help somebody do the right thing, help them call 911, help them go to the ER. Like somebody who's struggling with suicidal thoughts or homicidal thoughts needs professional help. You're not, how many people here have gone to medical school and you're a doctor? That's my point, right? They need professional help, okay? They, they need help. How do we say no to temptation when we are depressed or feeling down? These questions are really good. Do you know when you're miserable, there is pleasure in sin? And that's the temptation. Because when you're miserable all the time, when you're going through all these emotions and all these hormonal changes, you realize that that one thing that can make you feel really good really quick is go ahead and do that sin. Go ahead and eat that cake. Go ahead and eat those that bag of chips or go ahead and eat those 10 cookies. Or go ahead and look at porn and masturbate because there's pleasure there. But then there's guilt and then there's shame. So you, again, you've got to deal with the inner psychic pain. You've got to deal with what's going on on the inside and not just try to medicate with food or alcohol or pleasure on the outside. When, when I am tempted with those kind of things, I like to go back and read Ecclesiastes because Solomon did it all. He tried everything. And what was his conclusion? The, the conclusion of the matter was to fear God and keep His commandments. You know, Because all those pleasures are empty. When I was a teenager, and I told you I was off the reservation, in the ditch, my life was a train wreck, train wreck, there was a lot of pleasure there, but there was also a lot of pain, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and a lot of loneliness. These questions are great. How do I take life slower because it seems like it's coming at me too fast and I'm not good enough to handle it? Well, that's a great, these questions are really honest. Okay, not good enough is one of the lies, one of the schemes of the enemy. Okay? Even in me speaking here today and in the next session, Satan can put a thought in my mind that these teenagers don't want to hear what I have to say or I'm not good enough. We all deal with those kind of thoughts, okay? It's not just you. But you are good enough because Jesus makes you good enough. And the enemy, that's one of his lies, is to try to get you to feel not good enough. I haven't, haven't had a bad question yet, so you guys, you guys are being really honest here. Thank you. My parents say that taking medication for my... Diagnosed mental illness, I have OCD and anxiety, is ungodly. Well, where did they go to medical school? Um, uh, Because it means, and I'm not making fun of your parents, because it means I'm not relying on God. Now, that's an old school thought, guys, and that's not true. There are medications to help you with what's going on, and there's no reason for you to suffer, okay? And, and some people do think it's, 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 uh, it's wrong to take medication. But again, if you had bronchitis, would it be wrong to take an antibiotic to kill the virus? So it's not wrong to take medication. If 
in the adult in in the adult worship tomorrow in this church or your church if everybody taking medication had one of those big antennas that you see on bicycles with the orange flag on it you would see hundreds of orange flags with antennas among your parents among spiritual people among people in the ministry okay it's not wrong to take medication so your parents i mean you can Google, guys, you can Google and do research on this yourself and show your parents the research. It's all out there on the Internet. So instead of using the Internet for bad things, use the Internet for good things. As a disciple, hearing that I'm not godly enough to have a mental illness is discouraging. Are they right? No, they're not right. They need educated. They're just thinking in a way that you, people used to think that me taking medication was unspiritual or not godly. One more question. And we stop at quarter tail, right? Yes. Yeah, if you need to go until 2.50, that's fine. Oh, I want to do that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Good. How would I talk to someone who's depressed so that they know their worth? Guys, there are so many resources on the Internet to help with self-esteem and self-worth. There are things you can watch on YouTube, and, and you can put in the search bar, biblical self-worth, biblical self-esteem. So you don't get all this new age, crystal cruncher, psycho babble stuff. You can put in the search bar, Christian self-esteem, Christian self-worth. So you find stuff that's really solid. So the, the resources are amazing. And how many of you have a professional counselor in your church? that you know of. Anybody? Okay. So those are resources for you guys. Now, there are also people who are really good Christian counselors who may not be in our family of churches, but they're in every city in America, and you can find somebody that's going to give you solid biblical help that would be therapy, but biblical in, in nature. What are tips? Oh, this is a great one. Another good one. What are tips to help you calm down if you struggle with anxiety and panic attacks? I'm going to teach you, and if, if anybody in here struggles with anxiety, write this down, because this is really good. Dr. Herbert Benson at New England Deaconess, he's now in charge of the Harvard Mind Body Institute. So you go to the YouTube search bar and you put in Dr. Herbert Benson relaxation response. And he will teach you how to relax. I'm going to teach you right now the shortcut for relaxation. Now, this works for insomnia. It works like, say, if you get up in the middle of the night, use the bathroom, go back to sleep, and your mind is starting to click, and you want to go back to sleep, but you're having a hard time going to sleep. It works for when you're trying to go to sleep, uh, and you're having a hard time going to sleep to slow yourself down. And this is so simple, it, it's amazing. I taught this here at North River maybe eight years ago on a Wednesday night. And the most unlikely brother came up to me on Sunday and said, thank you so much for that thing you taught on Wednesday night. It has changed my life because I'm a brittle diabetic and my diabetes messes up my sleep cycle and I have trouble going back to sleep. But I did that thing you taught us and it really works. And here it is. Are you ready? Simple. Number one, you breathe in through the nose. You fully engulf your lungs. 
you hold for 20 seconds. Like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, to 20. Now myself, I do 30 seconds because I've practiced it and I worked up to it. In through the nose, 20 second hold, out through the mouth, slowly. You do that three times. Do the math on that. 20 seconds times three. That's a minute. With the really slow exhale, could be a 10 second exhale. It could be another minute and a half. If I do it 30 seconds with a 10 second exhale, that's 40 seconds times three. That's two minutes. So what are you doing? Think about medically, physically what you're doing. You're stopping your diaphragm. You're slowing down your heart rate, slowing down your pulse, which slows your blood flow to your whole body. But what about this? It slows down your blood flow to your brain. And so you do that three times, and there's something God created for your body called the relaxation response. And so you can actually relax after you do that three times. If you don't fall asleep right away, do it again. Give yourself five minutes. If it doesn't relax you right away, do it again. And if it doesn't relax you right away, do it again. I've never had to do it more than two or three times. Sometimes when I speak, I can feel the butterflies before I get up to speak. And so I'll go ahead and do that while they're doing the song before they introduce me to come speak. And it, it gives you a sense of chill. But in the search bar on YouTube, Dr. Herbert Benson, the relaxation response. He will take you through a, 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 uh, a meditation Okay, and you can learn to meditate using scripture. Okay, you guys have been awesome. We got one minute. Let me let me read one more. Why is church known to be homophobic? That's a great question. You know, we just had Guy Hammonds here. Okay, and. Religious people, Christian people, people who follow the Bible have been really hard lying about some things without love. Okay? Now, the Bible is the Bible. It's God's Word. We're supposed to follow God's Word, but we're supposed to love everybody. LGBT everybody. Okay? But that doesn't mean everything's okay. When Guy Hammonds comes here and preaches, he talks about the fact that he is attracted to men, but he's married, he has children, and he lived a gay lifestyle before he became a Christian. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't love people and care about people and convert people and help people find a relationship with God. You guys have been amazing. Thank you for listening so much. Thank you very much. All right, so just, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Steve. Amazing. Um,